You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to another episode of Locked On Ravens. I am your host, Kevin Ostreicher of Ravens Wire, and we return here with a Thursday episode. And we have a lot to jump into today. We're going to have Chris Russell from the Locked On Redskins podcast joining us in the second and third segments to wrap up this Locked on NFC East crossover with the Baltimore Ravens. We've talked to the Eagles, talked to the Cowboys, talked to the Giants. And now we're going to wrap it all up with the Redskins. Now, I will apologize in advance. Chris and I had some technical difficulties with the audio, so it doesn't sound as crystal clear as you've gotten used to here on Locked on Ravens. I know that some earlier episodes, the audio wasn't great, but I have seemed to have fixed that. But this audio isn't the best the software that we've recorded decided not to cooperate, and so it's not the best. It gets pretty good towards the end, actually, but the audio doesn't sound as crisp as I would like it, so I want to apologize in advance and just want to reiterate that that's not the standard we have here on this show, and it will get better in tomorrow's episode. But in the first segment, I want to address a move that I didn't address that happened a few days ago, and that is the Ravens' re-signing of Pernell McPhee. It was a one-year deal. Terms have not been released yet, but I'm pretty sure, and I'd bet on, it was probably closer to the veteran minimum, if not the veteran minimum. So for Baltimore, I think a really good signing. I want to get a little in-depth on it and also analyze whether Jadavian Clowney is still an option for Baltimore or not, even with Pernell McPhee currently on the roster. So I want to get into all of that in the first segment and what it means for the Ravens. We'll talk about that. We'll talk to Chris in the second and third segments. So let's just jump right in. But we have to acknowledge our sponsor for today's episode, and that is, of course, Built Bar, the healthy and tasty protein bar. Be sure to go to BuiltBar.com to check out all the flavors that they have. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter at LockedOnRavens, at CashDrake34. Follow us, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere there's a podcast, we're there. Monday through Friday, 6 a.m. Eastern Time, you know the deal. So, with all that being said, let's jump right into just what this move means for the Ravens. Pernell McPhee re-signed to a one-year deal. And this was a move that I think many expected. Jeff Zrebeck reported that it was in the works for a while, and honestly... I'm not surprised by this move. I think that it was the smart, right, a pretty safe move for the Ravens to make. I think a key in this, and the reason why the Ravens are most likely opted for him over, let's say, a Clay Matthews or let's say a Terrell Suggs, is because of the continuity within the Ravens' defensive system. The coronavirus, we all know, it's been wreaking havoc, not only on the world and, of course, on the people who are fighting the virus and losing their lives, but also on the sports world as well. And with potentially NFL teams not having the ability to, you know, bring in new guys to the training camp facility and get them up to speed in person, they want to have guys who have been in their system, who have had the luxury of being able to get a full in-person offseason under the Ravens. And I think that with potentially that being lost this upcoming season, I think that the Ravens wanted to make sure that they got a guy who is familiar with the system and it'll evolve, obviously. It's not going to be the exact same system, but you have a guy who is able to learn quickly because of already having a pretty good knowledge of what the Ravens run already. So now that leaves the Ravens with four options who were on the roster last season in Matthew Judon, Jalen Ferguson, Tyus Bowser, and also McPhee. 
But the real question here becomes, yes, the Ravens definitely, they don't need to add another edge rusher. Potentially John Daka out of James Madison or Marcus Willoughby, guys who were undrafted free agents, Chauncey Rivers. Maybe they make the team. But could the Ravens still be interested in Jadavian Clowney? Now, reports have come out recently that the Ravens have still expressed interest in Clowney, along with teams like the Seahawks, Browns, Eagles, Titans, and Jets. But I think the Ravens, is it smart to sign Clowney to a big contract? No. That's not what the Ravens would be going for here. What I would expect if the Ravens were to sign Clowney, it would be to a one-year or two-year deal, so a shorter-term deal. It would be extremely backloaded towards that second year if it was a two-year deal. If it was a one-year deal, you're giving most of your cap space right now to him. But the question is, where's the cap space? The Ravens right now have an estimated total, according to Sportrack, of just over $9.2 million. And that's taking into account the recent rookie signings like Broderick Washington, Ben Bredesen, James Prochet, Justin Metawike. But you have to still sign the remainder of your rookie class. You don't know the deal for Pinnell McPhee yet. It hasn't come out. You don't know the deal for DJ Fluke yet. It hasn't come out. You're going to sign your first, second, third round prospects to, to big deals. Obviously, the Ravens have signed a few. But that's going to eat up a lot. The Ravens also want to carry a little bit of cap space for guys who potentially could get cut. The way that really is the only way for the Ravens to clear up cap space without trading Matthew Judon. And the only way to clear up that cap space to have enough to sign a player like Jadavian Clowney, even though his price has dropped, is to either sign Ronnie Stanley or Judon himself to a long-term extension. If you can get both guys done, I believe that gives the Ravens enough money to go after Clowney. With Stanley only done, it gives them a little flexibility. I don't know if it's necessarily enough money to get Clowney, depending on how big the deal ends up being. With just Judon, I don't know if that's enough money either, especially because I don't think that deal is going to be anywhere close to what Ronnie Stanley's going to get. But right now, the Ravens, and at least the rumor that they're expressing interest, it might not be true, but I think that if he's added to this roster, and I'm talking about Jadavian Clowney, Where's the weakness on this Ravens defense? The Ravens made it a point to make sure that they were not going to get run over by running backs like Derrick Henry. Again, Calais Campbell, Derrick Wolf, they're in there now. Justin Metabuike, they bring back Jihad Ward, Justin Ellis, Broderick Washington, Daylon Mack, Brandon Williams, let's not forget about him. There are a lot of guys on that team who can stop the run. Then you look at the second level with Patrick Queen and Malik Harrison, the two injections of youth playing alongside LJ Fort, maybe Jake Ryan, Chris Board, Otara Alaka. Then in the secondary, we know about that secondary. Marcus Peters, Jimmy Smith, Marlon Humphrey, Earl Thomas, Chuck Clark. All these guys who could potentially make a massive impact for this Ravens team. Now, really, again, the issue for Baltimore with signing Jadavian Clowney is the money and is, let's say, the length of this deal. One or two years is going to be what the Ravens have to end up agreeing to with Clowney. And right now, I think that's what Clowney's going for anyway. He wants to reset his market in a way. He's been injured a bunch. You know, the sack numbers weren't there in 2019 for him. Still an excellent run defender. And I think he could be a big asset to this Ravens team. But realistically, I don't think it's necessarily possible for the Ravens to sign Clowney without doing some major cap rework and... You're not going to sign him to a three, four-year deal because that jeopardizes future contracts such as Lamar Jackson, Hollywood Brown, Mark Andrews. Even signing him to a two-year deal, we don't know how much this cap is going to go down with the coronavirus hitting. Loss of revenue, loss of TV revenue, loss of in-stadium revenue. There's going to be a lot of things that the NFL is not going to have at their disposal this season depending on how it ends up going. There are reports that the cap could drop anywhere from $20 million to $80 million. 
this upcoming offseason. That's a big hit to teams like the Ravens who have such good young talent to re-sign. And with them, maybe it means they have to get out of Earl Thomas's contract a year early. And more guys who maybe the team thought they had two more years left Maybe that shrinks down to one. There are so many unknown factors right now. Signing Clowney to a three or four year deal, I don't think makes a ton of sense. I think a one year deal for Clowney, nine, ten million dollars, that's where I'd go for him. Potentially, I'd do 11 if the cap space was there, but if it's a two year deal, I'm probably not paying him more than $9 million a year with maybe $6 million in the first year with it backloaded to, I don't know, anywhere from 11 to 12 in the second year because you don't have enough cap space to give him a ton of money up front right now. You can backload it because you only have to sign potentially really Matthew Judon and Ronnie Stanley next offseason. So you can kind of ride out Marlon Humphrey on that team option and then Clowney will be up after that and then you can focus that money on Marlon Humphrey. The Ravens want to win this Lombardi trophy. They want to secure their third championship in franchise history. Adding Clowney will give them a much more significant chance at doing that to an already very high chance that they're going to do it. I am so confident in this Ravens team in 2020. But Clowney gives them a different dimension. The addition of McPhee, I think it makes it less likely that the team signs Clowney. I personally wouldn't bet my money on the Ravens actually pulling the trigger on a clowny deal, but you never know. Really, anything is possible with Eric DaCosta and company, so be on the lookout for a potential clowny deal. Again, the other teams interested, the Browns, the Titans, the Eagles, the Jets, the Seahawks, obviously. Those are teams who all have been in play. Cleveland is reportedly out, though, although there have been no legs to those rumors, so who knows exactly. Just been reports so far. But Clowney is going to get signed by a team. It's going to happen. Who knows how far that price will drop. But for right now, I wouldn't bet my money on the Ravens signing Clowney. Although if they were to sign him, it would make them instant favorites for the Super Bowl. We're going to head into our first break here. But when we return, we're going to be talking with Chris Russell of Locked on Redskins to talk about the Redskins and the Ravens. But before we do that... Let's talk about Built Bar once again. They're the best tasting protein bar. They're tasty, they're healthy. They taste like a candy bar and there are 16 amazing flavors including eight in the chocolate and nut flavors and eight in the chocolate and nut free flavors. They're soft and easy to chew because they're covered in 100% chocolate. They're also great for the health conscious person. You can lose or maintain weight while indulging in a delicious treat. Low calorie, low sugar, high protein and high fiber bars make for an amazing snack. The flavors include peanut butter brownie and mint brownie, just two of those 16 flavors. So go to BuiltBar.com and use promo code LOCKEDON and you'll get $10 off your first order. Use promo code LOCKEDON for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. And we are back with our final installment of the Locked On NFC East and Locked On AFC North crossover. Kevin Ostreicher from Locked On Ravens here with Chris Russell from Locked On Redskins. These two teams play very close to each other and both in the state of Maryland as the Redskins have a home in Lanover. So I wanted to start off by asking you about the Redskins and what they did this offseason to improve their team. And since the draft is pretty fresh in our minds, the Redskins are obviously getting Chase Young, who is from Ohio State, one of the most dominant pass rushers, I think, in the last 10 years to come out of the draft. As a whole, with the Redskins' entire draft class headlined by Young, how do you think they did? Yeah, Kevin, uh, first of all, good to be with you. I I think... I think it was a solid, it was a dynamic, explosive, like, oh my goodness, uh, it's just going to make you 
think that the franchise is going to change forever, but I do think they're heading in the right direction under Ron Jack Del Rio, their new uh, defensive coordinator, Scott Turner, offensive coordinator, and their de facto general manager, uh, Kyle Smith. Uh, and of course, Ron Rivera's running the show now, the former Carolina Panthers uh, head coach. So, I mean, listen, every, you know, blind squirrel could take Chase Young, and, and, and as long as he stays healthy, player, right? So, we start. We can't really give the Redskins credit there. This draft, sure, it will hang on the hat of Chase Young, but it'll really be decided by a couple of guys. One, third-round pick, 66 overall out of the University of Memphis. Um, not a lot of experience as a running back, but really dynamic, explosive, tough to tackle. You can line them out wide. You can put them in the slot. You can jet sweep them. You can run them as a regular running back. You, uh, you know, formations out of the pistol and out of the gun, offset eye, that type of stuff out of Antonio Gibson. And again, you can use him as a receiver. You can use him uh, as a traditional running back. Um, so I think he'll determining how good this draft class ultimately was uh, for the Redskins. And I'll give you just another quick name. And I mean, there's more, but Sadiq Charles, who they drafted to replace potentially try uh, Trent Williams, Charles out of LSU. We know he's got the talent. We know he's got the ability. Um, the question is, is does he have any maturity? And he made a lot of mistakes at LSU, including last year, that got him popped for six games. And if those guys work out, Charles, Gibson, and of course Chase Young, then the draft was a slam dunk for the Redskins. Yeah, and you mentioned Ron Rivera, the former Carolina Panthers head coach, someone who the Redskins brought in, I think, for a culture change as well as his ability to be a very good coach. And I think that the Redskins made a slam dunk hire in Ron Rivera. It's a first-year guy, and with him kind of maneuvering the offseason for the Redskins. First off, Chris, how did you like this hire when it first happened? Yeah, Kevin, you know, um, he's not just the head coach now, which is what he was with a lot of influence in Carolina, but he always had a general manager who was ultimately making the bottom line decisions, whether it be, you know, Dave Gettleman or whether it be Marty Herney. Um, and is him and Gettleman did not get along. Uh, my understanding is, you know, him and Marty Herney were, were very close. Um, so this is the first time that he's making – and he is the number one football man. I do like the hire. If you would have told me when Ron Rivera got fired, ironically, at the hands of the Redskins in late November, Thanksgiving weekend in Charlotte, if you would have told me a month later that the Redskins would hire him as the head coach and grand poobah, if you will, uh, of the organization, I would have told you you're nuts. Why? Not that they wouldn't have been interested. I didn't think Ron would. Be. I didn't think Ron would want to be a part of that circus which it's always been. And somehow, someway, and I'm sure with a lot of money, Dan Snyder convinced him and power and control that this was the right fit before the season ends or before anyone else gets in on this derby. Uh, and that's exactly what they did. They had this agreement done before the regular season even ended. I mean, I, look, I don't know. Uh, here, here's what I do know. The culture was terrible around here. I think every Ravens fan understands what good culture is all about. Um, you know, that doesn't mean that everything runs perfect. You guys have had your share of mistakes and arrests and all that stuff. But by and large, under Ozzie Newsom, by and large, uh, under Eric DaCosta, 
by and large under, you know, Billick and then Harbaugh and 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 the owners and and all of that, you guys have had a sustainable culture. But Chris, also for what the Redskins did in the offseason, obviously a big trade happened during the draft trading Trent Williams to the San Francisco 49ers. But going beyond that and looking at the free agency additions and subtractions, how do you think the Redskins made out in this free agency? You know, it was a a rather nondescript free agent class is how I would answer that, Kevin. I mean, you mentioned the Trent Williams trade, and that was just going to happen. They also traded their best corner in Quentin Dunbar because he wouldn't stop popping off on social media. He didn't want to play for, you know, what he thought was a mere pittance, uh, you know, a three-and-a-half-ish million-dollar final year of his deal. Um so with that being said, I mean, you knew there was going to be a lot of change. They Trey Cooper from the Dallas Cowboys. They were willing to way overpay him, at least in my opinion, of $22 million. I know he got 20 uh, with the Cowboys, but uh, to me, that's still too high for Amari Cooper. They were willing to way overpay him because they love guys like Amari Cooper who can turn a seven-yard slant into a 60-yard banger, you know, um, that type of thing. So I, I would say this. They filled a lot of depth, uh, a lot of needs, a lot of holes. They valued, valued versatility. Um, you know, some guys were with Rivera. A lot of guys weren't. Um, I, I, you know, one, Sean Davis, uh, who, you know, Ravens fans I'm sure are familiar with, who was at one point a, a, a highly thought of 50 with the Pittsburgh Steelers before he got injured early last year. He comes home. He's from the area. He wanted, you know, he idolized Sean Taylor. So, you know, there was, I guess, an eclectic mix. Uh, I'm excited, kind of, to be honest with you. It's a lot of versatility, number one, and a lot of Swiss Army knives, people will call them, where you don't quite know exactly what they are, but they can do and are a lot of things, Kevin. Yeah, Chris, I agree with you. I think the Redskins, they have a plan. I think they've executed it well so far. And moving ahead into the actual matchup between the Ravens and the Redskins, Dwayne Haskins had a pretty up and down year. I think that he grew. But I also think that when you look at how Haskins has to improve coming into 2020, you know, playing this Ravens secondary, I think it might pose a bit of a challenge for him. When you look at Dwayne Haskins and the weapons that he has around him, how is he going to beat this Ravens defense? Well, I, I think the biggest challenge that he's going to have is in a, you know, and this is against the, every team, you know, I, doing these crossovers this week, the Pittsburgh Steelers are, we know are going to be aggressive and get after the quarter. You know, if Dwayne Haskins can't get rid of the football faster than he did, and if he takes some of the, uh, you know, n- not some of the shots that he took last year uh, and, and and gets nicked up and scraped up as he did in three out of his last four games, uh, that's going to not only affect how much he can play and how well he can play, and how, but it's also going to affect the entire season and probably whenever the Baltimore Ravens and Redskins match up. Uh, and again, we'll find out for sure on Thursday night. Because I, I don't think it comes, oh, oh you know, he can take a part of – I know he can throw the record for the most part. Um, 
Can he make a lot better decisions? Of course he can. Is he learning another new system and another new language? Yeah, I worry about that. The number one thing I worry about, some people think, um, scouts, you know, think that he doesn't anticipate well and throw with anticipation. And that's all a fair critique. The biggest thing for me is, is he going to get rid of the football quick enough to preserve him and to preserve him from taking those big shots? I got to be honest with you. I don't. I, I don't have a lot of confidence right now until I see him really significantly improve. Yeah, I think that Haskins, he has a ways to go, but I think he's on the right track. And I think with another year of grooming and being able to get experience, he's a young guy. I think he's going to learn, and I think that he will be a successful quarterback in this league just with a few more years of experience. But my last question for you, Chris, is on the opposite side of the field with the Redskins defense. Obviously, stopping Lamar Jackson, it can be a tough task because he is electric. He can do things both with his arms and with his legs. How is this Redskins defense built to stop Lamar Jackson if they are? Well, I don't know how many do to stop Lamar Jackson, but I, I think the one thing that they will do uh, and that Ron Rivera and Jack Del Rio have, a pro, have preached is stopping the run on the way to the quarterback. And that means shooting gaps and getting penetration and disrupting things. So I think the easy answer for me would be in an ideal situation with no Marshall Yonda and the Redskins talent in their front seven, especially on their defensive line, if they can really shoot gaps and really slice in backfield and don't let you know Ingram get going. And of course, uh, don't get continuously sucked in on bootlegs and 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 pullouts uh, and and read options from Lamar. You know, then I think you have a chance. Doesn't mean that you're going to be successful, but I think they'll have a chance to do what many teams weren't able to do uh, last year. But that's the only way I can see it. And. I think if you give Lamar time, he'll pick apart the Redskins secondary, especially inside the red zone. That I don't worry about. But again, I think the Redskins are going to have to just completely disrupt the flow of the backfield. And that's what they're, in my opinion, going to have to do against the Ravens. This matchup is going to be an extremely interesting one, and I think that it could potentially have a little more firepower than some people expect. But we're going to head into our break here, and when we get back, we're going to flip the script, and Chris is going to ask me some questions about the Ravens. So stay tuned for that, and we will be right back. All right, we're back here on this crossover edition of the Locked on Redskins podcast and Locked on Ravens. And once again, we're joined by Kevin of Locked on Ravens. We talked about the Redskins uh, last segment. Now we're going to flip the script and talk to Kevin about the team that he regularly covers. Uh, Kevin, uh, you know, again, appreciate you doing this. Um, I guess we'll start. The league MVP did it all last year, uh, but then finally, you know, got a little bit, uh, I guess, controlled uh, in the postseason, um, and, and things didn't go how they did in the regular season. What do we take from what January's in terms of how teams can attack the Baltimore Ravens and specifically Lamar Jackson in the regular season? Well, it was definitely a tale of two Lamar Jacksons, a tale of two Ravens teams. And when you look at what happened in the playoffs with the Ravens, obviously losing 28-12 to to the Tennessee Titans, 
Lamar Jackson and this Ravens offense really got away from what they did best. In this game, the Ravens had 29 rushes. 20 of them came from Lamar Jackson. Only six went to Mark Ingram, and another three went to Gus Edwards. Lamar Jackson dropped back on over 70 passes in that game. He had over 500 total yards just by himself at 143 yards on the ground and another 365 yards through the air. Nobody really showed up in terms of a running back, and now Mark Ingram was injured. Greg Roman kind of got away from his plan. And I think the Titans, they got out ahead. They used Derrick Henry, and that in turn put Lamar Jackson and this Ravens offense in a bind to come back. And they didn't really have to do a ton of their season. Lamar Jackson and the Ravens offense had to play with a lead for most of the 2019 regular season. And you saw Lamar Jackson getting pulled in fourth quarters and the Ravens up, you know, by 40 points on teams sometimes. They weren't used to playing from behind. And I think that's one of the main reasons why it was just so shocking to see this Ravens team drop back after drop back after drop back and not staying true to what they were in terms of a running team, which is what really got them going. And that is a running team. It gives Lamar Jackson leverage because that in turn makes it, you know, is he going to run? Is he going to pass? For the Titans Mm -hmm. defense, it was pretty obvious that it was either a run to Lamar Jackson or it was Lamar Jackson passing. They could hone in on a singular player. And I think that's really the main difference that comes between the game in January and the rest of the regular season. So, so again, if if an opposing defense maybe tries to target Ingram, can you all? I mean, because I, I could I could see what you're what you're trying to describe, and I, I agree with all that. But that could also get you in trouble if you over, I guess, over an Ingram, and you get that uh, again. You get Lamar seeing it and pulling it out, and then running around end. Well, that's what makes it so successful. And when the Ravens line up in their read option formation, there are plenty of things that can happen. And honestly, that's what makes it so difficult to defend. Lamar Jackson Mm -hmm. and Mark Ingram, with their ability, they have to read that defense. And it's, it's really on Lamar Jackson to do so. If he sees the edge rusher, the person who's holding the edge, creep in and crash down on Mark Ingram up the middle, he will take that ball, he will pull it out of Mark Ingram's belly, and he will run around. If he sees that defender kind of hesitate and maybe kind of take the outside edge, anticipating Lamar Jackson pulling the ball, he'll just hand it to Mark Ingram, and that's one less guy that they have to worry about up the middle. He can also pull that ball back, and it can be play action. Mark Ingram can run a route. He could go into pass protection. They have guys now on that offense who are threats as pass catchers. Mark Andrews led the league in touchdowns last year from a tight end perspective. They have Hollywood Brown. He was only playing at 70% last year because he had two foot he had two foot screws. He had surgery. He had a pretty big injury in a championship game for Oklahoma. So he wasn't playing at full strength. They drafted Devin Duvernay in the third round and James Prochet in the sixth round. They have J.K. Dobbins now who can be another threat like Mark Ingram. With the Ravens offense, the reason it's so hard to defend is because you have to prepare for quite a bit of different plays, and the looks that they bring you are all pretty much looking the same. So it could be a play-action pass, a draw off the middle, a bootleg from Lamar Jackson, all on a simultaneous play that looks the exact same. So defenders have to have insane discipline. They have to have 
plenty of awareness of what's going on and plenty of film study to defend against this Ravens team. You just covered a lot of the Ravens' weapons on offense, so I'll skip that part uh, and ask you about the offensive line. Yonda retires, great career. Uh, do they have a, a good replacement plan for him? And what would you say about this offense? King and all offensive linemen like to like to run block, and, and, you know. But but can they hold up if the run game isn't clicking? And if they have to drop, and if Lamar has to drop back the game, are they good enough? I think that that question, if you would ask me, you know, in January, Lamar Jackson still had a little bit of development to do as a passer from year two to year three. Lamar Jackson, I think, is going to take another leap. He worked so hard to get to where he is, to the league MVP status that he got. From year one to year two, he worked relentlessly during the offseason. When you talk about the Ravens' offensive line, yes, Marshall Yonda, you cannot underestimate the loss that that is. A Hall of Fame player, one of the best to ever do it at the right guard position. But the Ravens, they were preparing for this day. The Ravens drafted Ben Powers last season, a guard out of Oklahoma. And I think that they redshirted him under Marshall Yonda to really go and take over that right guard position. Now you look at what the Ravens have on the offensive line. They have depth now. You can't underestimate Yonda's loss, but you have guys like Tyree Phillips and Ben Bredesen who were drafted. You signed DJ Fluker, who's a veteran option. You have Bradley Bozeman, who was a center. He worked really hard to play guard, though. He started at left guard. Honestly, all three of these interior offensive line positions could be open. And I think that Matt Skura, he tore his ACL, PCL, MCL, and dislocated his kneecap all in one play against the Los Angeles Rams. The Ravens' offensive line, I think, is a key proponent in them having a really good offense. You don't have to worry about those two tackles in Ronnie Stanley and Orlando Brown Jr. But for the Ravens, they have to make sure that that interior is all shored up, or else who knows how this offense is going to perform next season. So I think that with left guard, center, and right guard being, I guess, three uncertainties as to who's going to start along the offensive line, I don't think necessarily the players themselves are the uncertainties. I think the Ravens have a lot of plug-and-play options who have potential to be long-term starters at those positions. And with the Ravens' offense, that's vitally important with that continuity that the offensive line brings. Having that offensive line be the same for Lamar Jackson for years to come, I think is going to help him in his development quite a bit. Thanks again to Chris for joining me here on the show. That wraps up our Locked on NFC East crossover with the Ravens. It was really fun talking to these guys. And that's all I have for you today. When we get back tomorrow, we're going to be getting into more Ravens talk. So stay tuned for that and I will see you tomorrow.